I'm impressed that you are here on New Year's Eve. So way to go. Glad, glad you decided to go to church. There's a lot of people who are deciding not to do that these days because you can get, it, get church on a podcast or you can uh, listen to things online or whatever it is and uh, watch TV. But um, what we don't realize is that God didn't save you to listen to pod, podcasts. He saved you to be a part of a people. And you can't do that at home alone. So glad that you're here. Uh, we're in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 uh, today. So we're wrapping up the series. And if, again, if you know anything about scripture, you will know. This is rough. <laughs> it's rough. But I'm, I'm going to abbreviate some things and things of that nature. But it, it, would, it would be good for you to, if you have your Bible, to, to have it open. Um, I, I would encourage you to bring an actual Bible, not just look at your, your phone, but if, you, if that's what you got, that's great. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one um, here. We have them here somewhere. So um, in any case, um, we are in uh, the book of Daniel, and I am going to try to move as fast as I can without confusing you. I'm going to try to abbreviate some things because I think there's some things that you can and should do on your own time uh, that would be helpful for you as you go through and you you process these things. And as weeks in the past, I've said uh, that uh, there's a couple commentators that have uh, really loved on um, this book, and that's Sidney Gredanus and Sinclair Ferguson. Both of those have been incredibly helpful. Um, I'll probably use uh, some of Sidney Gredanus' comments uh, today. Um, but uh, in any case, so, so here's what I'd say, is that like if you get done with today's sermon and you're like, man, I really don't understand... Daniel, I want to understand it in a conservative way. There's a liberal way to understand it, which is completely false, and that is they say that uh, the, the book of Daniel was written later, um, like near the time of the turn of the century or a little bit before that, uh, and it was really just written as though it was, uh, you know, supposed to be hopeful for those people, and, and basically it was written after the fact, and, and so this isn't real prophecy. It's more history telling, and so um, so on and so forth, but that, that's garbage, and so you should read a conservative commentary, and uh, both of those, as I said, are great commentaries, and you could read those, especially during the chapters that you don't understand, and they're incredibly illuminating, and these are the things that I read in order to understand uh, things, and I'm not that smart, so it'll be good for you. So, um, in any case, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever heard of the book called Freakonomics. It is awesome. I, lo I, I love that book. And um, I can't remember if I actually finished it or not, but it's got some great stories in there. And it's basically kind of those stories that, it, that you know, it's about how we work as people and, and things that you wouldn't think are true that are true. And, and this particular chapter is talking about how the KKK is a lot like, um, you know, real estate agents today, which is uh, incredibly offensive to you if you're in the real estate business. But uh, I didn't write it, and so <laughs> I'll just say that. But I'm not really going to talk about real estate agents, but I, I need to do this briefly because we got to get moving. But um, during uh, the kind of the height of the KKK, they were striking fear into the heart of America, you know, of course, to uh, African Americans and then also uh, white folk. Um, that uh, were supporting them and things like that. And so there was just massive, massive fear that was going on. And so there was one guy by the name of Stetson Kennedy, and his, I believe it was his father, his grandfather, somebody in his family actually came up with the Stetson uh, hat name. And uh, he was the guy who started Stetson Hats. But in any case, his name was uh, uh, Stetson Kennedy. 
and he decided that he wanted to figure out a way as to how to uh, demoralize, destabilize the Ku Klux Klan. And so in concert with John Brown, uh, he began, who, who had infiltrated the uh, KKK, um, he would take stories from John Brown, um, and he would take those and he would pass them off to a guy named Drew Pearson. Drew Pearson had a radio show, and Drew Pearson would announce what is going on in the KKK. So the KKK is having these really secretive meetings, and they think that everything is like on the DL, nobody knows about this. And then they would take like actual statements, and then they would broadcast them on radio and say, the Ku Klux Klan is doing this, and they're doing that, doing the other thing. In fact, uh, from November 17th, 1948, this is what the, the book uh, lays out as what Drew Pearson said um, on his radio show. It says, uh, speaking at Clavern, that's tavern for most of us, ta Clavern number one, Atlanta, Georgia, the week after elections, the Grand Dragon wrung his hands and once again cautioned Klansmen to be careful about leaks. So this is on the radio, it's being, it's, he's, he's, He's talk, he is telling the story. He's saying, you guys need to be careful about this, and it's being broadcast on the radio, it's, which is fantastically funny. And he says, I have to talk frankly at these meetings, he said. He's quoting the uh, Grand Dragon. I have to talk frankly at these meetings, he said. But I might as well call Drew Pearson before I come to the meeting and give him the information. For the next day, he gives it out to everybody from coast to coast. The AP and the UP are both calling me about it next morning while I'm eating breakfast. So he's just absolutely frustrated. And basically what uh, this guy, uh, Stetson Kennedy, did was he took private information, information that was striking fear into the hearts, what people didn't know, they didn't understand, they didn't realize. He was taking that information, and he made it public, and it took the fear out of it. It took the fear out of it, and it demoralized who they are. And now, of course, we wish that it would have demoralized them a little bit more so that they're not marching in the streets today, uh, but... Uh, in any case, that's what happened during that time period. This, these three chapters are like this, a little bit. They are taking the fear out, even though it is still, they, they still are fearful events, but it's taking the fear out and it's taking the sting out of what's happening. It is talking about, uh, for Daniel, for the, the, the guy Daniel, um, it's talking about what his people are going to go through. And it's basically telling him there's going to be some horrific things that happen to you, and then a little bit longer, uh, some uh, a little bit more horrific things, and then a little bit longer. In the end, this is going to take place. And it is foretelling all of those things. Some of those things for us are now in, the, in history. And so you can look back over history, and you can look through um, uh, the early part of uh, Daniel chapter 11 especially, and walk through that, which we're not going to do today, but I'm, I'm going to give you one example, but you can look through the beginning of chapter 11 especially, um, and you can see, okay, this happened in history, and that's what this is saying. Well, that was a prophecy. It's already happened now, so that's in history for us, but then there's stuff that's going to be in the future, which is prophecy about the end as well. So I want to make that kind of clear, um, even though it may be very muddy for you this morning. So chapter 10, verse 1 says this. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So he gets this word 
from God. A word comes from God in Scripture. And what is the word about? It's, it's, it's a vision from God about a great war that takes place. It's a great war, and it's a long war. It's basically from the time of Daniel till the end of, end of time for us um, is what he's talking about. So it's during the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. Now, Daniel had just previously prayed for his hometown, for Jerusalem, and he wants the temple to be rebuilt. He wants to go back home. He wants God to be glorified in his temple because at that time, that's where God was glorified. So he's been praying this and fervently praying for this, and then uh, he has this vision, which we talked about uh, last week, and then he's coming to this point, and he hears this word. He, he understands what's happening. And so what it says in verse 2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for, for three weeks. Now, what's happening here? He hears the vision. He understands the vision. It's about a great war. Why is he upset? It doesn't really tell us that, but what we do know is that there's other books of Scripture that are speaking about this same time. So Daniel had been praying fervently, and he gets a word that says, okay, uh, someone's, someone is going to make the decree. They're going to give permission for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Now that, we believe, happened in Ezra chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4 where King Cyrus of Persia, let me read it for you. It says, in the first year, that's the first year of Cyrus. Right now we're in the third year of Cyrus. Daniel's in the third year of Cyrus. But in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. God is working behind the scenes. He's working on this king of Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And this is what he said. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So then he gives permission. Verse 3, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So King Cyrus of Persia, in his first year, he says, go build, rebuild that temple. He's the true God. Go rebuild that temple. But what happens is this, is that it doesn't get rebuilt. Because we know that from Ezra chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 4 and 5, which says this. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, that's Israel, and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So what we see from this is that it seems that Daniel knows that the decree was given. He's in the kingdom. He knows what's going on. He's in the kingdom. He knows that that decree went out. And then he also knows that it's come to a halt. And he is distressed about this. And he's, he's upset. So then it says this. On the 24th day of the first, uh, first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from 
Uphaz around his waist. That's an amazing belt. Um, his body was like barrel. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no, and, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, as I heard the sound, uh, then I heard the sound of his words, as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. He's got narcolepsy. He just flat out falls asleep. He's, he's done this before. And so he, he's, 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 out of strength, he, he sees this crazy sci-fi vision. I hate sci-fi, by the way. Um, sorry to, to some of you. And so apocalyptic literature is very hard for me to read. It might be hard for you to read. If it's not, uh, be careful. Because sometimes people who really love this stuff read too much into it, try to figure, well, who's this and who's that? Who's the guy with the, you know, the flaming torches coming out of his eyes? You know, like, and, and really, it doesn't tell us the things that it doesn't want us to know. And so it's not good to necessarily speculate, but we can look at them and say, well, it's, 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 an, it's an angel, it's, it's a heavenly being, it's something like this, but we're not sure. And so he says in verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now. I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Now stop right there for just a second. Like, first of all, like he gets a visit from this angel, from this being, and he's totally freaked out. He hears this vision. It's, he has no strength in him, but this being comes up to him and says, oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. So he's, he's communicating the love of God to him. Look at what God is doing here. I love this aspect of it. It's going to say it again. He then says to him, he says, I don't want you to fear because of this, I, God has heard your prayers. God hears your prayers, and, and you've set your heart to understand these things. You've humbled yourself before your God. And so he says, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. What, sh what should we take from that? When fear comes to us about the future... When the wrong person gets put in office, whoever that is for you, um, when whatever takes place, when the world starts falling apart, when we see the inevitability of what's going to happen with our world, what should we do? We should pray. We should pray fervently. Why? Because God hears your prayers. He hears your words. Your words to God matter. Your words to God matter. And it doesn't mean that you need to be some refined individual. Some people, when they start to pray, um, I remember a guy that started coming to our church years ago. With, as, as soon as he became a believer, he was praying, and he was just using the F word right in the middle of prayer. He might be here today. It was so funny. Love you, bro brother. Uh, but uh, it was so hilarious. But it, 
it's, it's not that that is um, what we're talking about. We're not talking about refined speech. We're saying that your heart should be known to God and you should be expressing yourself and you should humble yourself. God hears your prayers. Okay, here we go. Verse 13. This is when it gets even a, a little more weird. Verse 13, the angel continues and he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, that's another angel, um, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, what did that just say? The angel was held up and he couldn't come to Daniel. He's been wanting to come to him for 21 days. He's been wanting to, to go to him for 21 days and to give this message to him, but he was held up. Why does the scripture tell us this? I can't answer that question entirely for you. All I can say is this, is that God wants us to know something, and what he wants us to know is that there is an angel who is behind the scenes that Daniel did not know about who is fighting against the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and that it is not just some kind of war of words per se, but it is a real battle that's taking place behind the scenes. So you have this prince of the kingdom of Persia who is very much simply just a demon who is behind the nation of Persia. And there, there's more to this in just a minute. So what should, we, what should we take from that? Well, there's some things that we shouldn't take, and that is uh, by looking at every evil thing that happens in our world and say there's a demon behind every single one of these bushes or what have you. People get way too wrapped up in this. You may be way too wrapped up in these things. Talking to demons, talking about spiritual warfare, you're, you're, you're overemphasizing uh, one member of the Trinity, the Spirit of God over God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're, you're not Trinitarian, you're Spiritarian. You, all you care about is the Spirit of God. You're freaking people out, and it's really not a part of the Scriptures. So you should not read into this too much. However, there's also the risk of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which is to say that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. Like there are things going on behind the scenes that we know nothing about. And our prayers matter in the midst of those things. So be aware that those things are happening. Here's something else you should take from this. God is deeply involved in our world in ways that we do not understand. We will not understand all of these things. Look at the description of this angelic being with the flaming torches and the burnished bronze and the barrel and the, the belt and whatever. I mean, these are things that we don't understand. But for some reason, in God's economy, he has chosen to utilize these things, utilize this picture language to communicate something that is just outlandish and crazy, but God is deeply involved in our world in ways that we will not understand. God did not create and then, and then separate himself from us. He's deeply involved. He's engaged in the things that are happening with us. There is a cosmic battle being waged, but God and his angels will prevail. 
Spiritual warfare is real, and yet it's overly focused on by some Christians. We should not presume to know the details of everything that God is doing in our world. And ultimately, we should understand this, that these are evil beings that are behind uh, Persia. He's going to talk about Greece in just a second. We need to be aware of that, that these things are not just simply people, but there is evil. There's demonic influence behind those things. Verse 15 says this, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. He's saying, this is horrific information. I cannot stand this. It's crazy. Like, please stop. Don't tell me anymore. Okay, this is serious. Uh, I mean, has anyone ever told you something where you're just like, I just don't. I don't even want to know anything. I don't even want to know anymore. Just leave it right there. When you hear about horrific things that happen in crime or, you know, those types of things. We don't want to hear. I don't want to hear the rest. Just, I just, I know that it's taken place and that's enough. So he says, again, having the appearance of a, uh, of a man, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. These are words to us as well. When fear strikes at our hearts over what's happening in our world or what could happen to the church, what could happen to the things around us, when, when the wrong person gets in office and we know it's going, it's going, it's going. I've read probably three articles this week um, in regards to that uh, it, they're against Christians and it's only a matter of time before our free speech, free speech is limited and, to, and, and the things that we can freely say today will be turned into hate speech and it, it will only be a matter of time. You should prepare yourself. But know this, O oh man, O oh woman, greatly loved, fear not, Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? The angel says this to Daniel. But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. So he's, I just came here for a minute, left the battle. I'm, now I'm going back. I'm going to fight against the prince of Persia. Cosmic battle going on. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except thee, uh, against these except Michael, your prince. Keep going, chapter 11, verse 1. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. That is Michael the angel. Further proof that we can look at and we can say that there is a cosmic battle going on. Uh, there's a prince of Persia and there's a prince of Greece. So Persia is first and then Greece comes. And what's going to happen there is that now there's a new prince of Greece. And that prince of Greece will also be fought against. 
And he's also talking about Michael. And he's saying, Michael the angel, he's got to come help me. He's got he's to come bolster me. He needs to work with me. So this is, this is nearly crazy stuff that's taking place. Go on to verse 2. It says this. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of, of Greece. And so what, what, this is, what this is saying is that it's, it's going it's, it's to talk about these, uh, these four kings. Look at here uh, what Sidney Gradenus says. He says, the angel begins with the Persian kingdom. The time in which Daniel is now living. The three kings after Cyrus are Cambyses, Smyrdas, and Darius uh, I. The fourth king then is Xerxes, also known as Ahasuerus, the king who selected the Jewish orphan Esther as queen of Persia. So we're talking about a couple things. So if you know the book of Esther, you know that story. This uh, angel is proclaiming, he's talking about what's going to happen uh, with Esther during this fourth kingdom. And then he's going to talk about Greece again. We've already talked about Greece a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here, this is going to be phenomenally confusing for you. But let me just read this. Verse 3, Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion, and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, not a, uh, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Now, why is this important again? It's reaffirming something which has not happened yet. The angel is telling Daniel, hey, keep in mind that there's going to be this, this stream of history that's going to take place, and these things are going to happen. And so he's talking about these events. Now, the next section... Verses 5 through 35 are, are concentrating on these two kings, the kings of, of the south and the, the kings of the north. And it's going to be this back and forth. In fact, uh, Gradenus says this, in Daniel 5 through 35, we read the detailed predictions of the political intrigue, the alliances, and the seesawing battles between the kings of the south and kings of the north. The balance of power flows back and forth, and Judah and Jerusalem are caught in the middle. The point is that these alliances and seesawing battles take place under the control of Israel's almighty all of these things happen. They happen under the control of God. God is saying he's going to go through all of these details, which we can't go through today. He's going to go through all these details. He's going to say this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And if you read a conservative commentator on this book, you will see them say, okay, this took place, and we see this in history. So it's probably this guy, and this is his daughter, and this is who she married, and things of that nature. And so it's, it's really important that we understand this, that God knows the details of history. He is deeply involved in our world. He sees what we're going through. Remember, Daniel is totally freaked out. He's saying, oh my gosh, I can't hear anymore. I don't, I don't want to hear anymore. I don't have the strength for it. And God is telling him, listen, I know every detail of every kingdom that's going to take place before it even takes place. I understand what's happening. Now, 
let me stop for just a second. And that is that do you believe that God is sovereign in all of history? Do you believe that God is intricately involved with the moments of history? Or do you get so upset by that theological idea that you say, God, if you knew that this was going to take place, then how could you allow these evil things to happen to me and to these people and to that time period? God, how could you do this? And that is to only put our finger in the face of God and say, you know what, God? You should not have. And now the great judge, who is God himself, is put on the stand, and now we're questioning him. God in the dock, as C.S. Lewis says. Are we going to question God? Are we going to, or are we going to allow God to play out his story of redemption? Even in the midst of all the chaos. Even in the midst of all, all the things. How sovereign, how absolutely and finally in control is God? Because here's the truth. In order to believe that God is sovereign, it takes faith. Not in yourself, not in your own abilities to discern what is right and wrong. But it takes faith for you to be able to say, God, I trust your plans. I trust what you have to say. I trust what you are doing. And the question is, do you trust God on that level? Spurgeon says that God controls the dust particles that you see floating in the air through the sunlight. Is God that in control? The book of Daniel has been about God's absolute control, if you've been with us. Do you believe that? Because it will be something that will help you immensely. As I said, verses 5 through 35 are really talking about historical events after historical event. And, and um, we're not going to go through every detail of that. In verse 21... It is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes is a prototype of the Antichrist. Um, I talked about this a few weeks ago. With the book, talked about the book of Maccabees, which is not a biblical book. It is an extra biblical book. However, it does tell us history about uh, Israel's people, and it tells us the history of this king, who is Antiochus the Fourth, and uh, and how he persecutes um, Israel's people. And so again, God is telling. Daniel about the things that are going to happen. He's getting more specific with him, and he's telling him how Antiochus Epiphanes is going to persecute God's people. It says in verse 28, it says, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. His heart is against God. He's, he's totally against him. Verse 31 says, forces from him shall appear and profane the, temp, the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up an abomination that makes desolate. They're going to bring something into the temple that, that, that um, um, does not allow them to do sacrifices to God anymore. And so it's going to make the temple desolate. And he shall seduce with flatteries, with flattery, those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. They shall stand firm and take action. 
And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame. Who is it talking about? It's talking about the wise, the people that continue to follow God. They're going to be people who fall by the sword and by flame. They're going to be burnt. They're going to be killed. It's going to be awful. God is telling Daniel, hey, this is going to take place. I know the future. Therefore, I run the future. I know that this is taking place. Did God tell them to kill his people? I don't believe so, but God decreed that these things would happen. People say, well, that makes God culpable. I don't care what it says. God is in charge. He's in control. He's telling Daniel, these people are going to be killed. This king is going to come. He's going to kill my people, many of them, by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive little help. There's going to be no one to help them. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. People from Israel, they're going to they're gonna, forget this. I'm out. Go join the Seleucid Empire. Go join Antiochus Epiphanes. Join what they're doing. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still waits the appointed time. It's, it's just, it's an awful story. And then verse 36 goes into the final Antichrist. Again, I'm not going to cover every detail here. It says about halfway through verse 36 uh, that he shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He's, he's going to speak against God, this final Antichrist. So we've gone from Daniel's time to a little bit before him, uh, before Christ, and then there's going to be some stuff that's after Christ that was predicted earlier in Daniel Never mind that for a second. And now we're talking about the final Antichrist. This is at the end, at the very end. And this guy's going to speak against the God of gods. Verse 38, it says, He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. He's going to honor this God, which isn't any real God, but he's going to honor this God of war. He's going to make it his God. He's going to make war on everybody and everything, and he's especially going to make it profoundly difficult for God's people. It says in verse 41, he shall come into the glorious land. The glorious land is formerly Palestine. So in essence, he's talking about the church here. And tens of thousands shall fall. Tens of thousands of the church shall fall by this final Antichrist. We're talking about the future. We're talking about stuff that you and I could go through. We're talking about things that are, that are going to happen. But these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. These are all ancient armies of Israel. Uh, the Antichrist will not attack these people who are enemies of the church. Verse 42, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and land of Egypt, uh, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. Major world powers will fall underneath this Antichrist. Do you, do you feel the weight of this? Like, it's, it's, this isn't comfortable. This doesn't preach well, all right? Uh, this, is, this is like, hey, really bad things are going to happen. Let us pray. Go and be blessed, right? There's, there's more to the story here. He's, major world powers are going to fall. It, it, it's just, it's over 
and over and over again. This is the Antichrist's last de desperate assault on the church. He is going to come in and ravage the church all over the world. They're going to be put to death. This is what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, talking about the Antichrist. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Jesus is going to take him out. When you think about Jesus, do you think about him killing the Antichrist? When you think about Jesus, is, is it Jesus is your homeboy or is it Jesus is your king in a sense of a, a real and abiding fear? It says this in, verse, in, in chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never uh, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written in the book. He's saying Michael's going to come. He's, he's going to help. He's, he has charge of your people, this, this angel. And, and he's going to deliver everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. What book? What book? talking about those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. It says in verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We're talking about the end. I, I, I realize it's apocalyptic literature. You probably don't like it as much as I don't like it, and yet it is the Word of God. What it's saying is God knows all. He knows the history of Israel and what's going to take place with them. He knows the future of the church. He knows, understands, it's within his plan in some way how the church is going to be demoralized. But the end is going to come. And it's clear. It's, it's saying many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth uh, shall awake. Some of them are going to everlasting life. Some of us are going to be resurrected from the dead. And we will go into everlasting life. And he will be our God. And we will be his people but what's really scary here, and what we don't talk about often, because we're not talking about fire and brimstone all the time, we want to present the truth of the gospel to you. We, we, we want to present the reason why you need the gospel without doing uh, fire and brimstone. But here is a fire and brimstone verse, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I heard somebody say one time, everybody lives forever somewhere. Everyone has an eternal soul. And the question is this, whether your soul 
will be in everlasting life or whether it will be in everlasting contempt. Which is not where you want to be, by the way. So a bumper sticker that said once, I know hell is hot, but is it humid? As if to say, you know, I don't mind the heat so much, but if it's humid, I don't really want to be there, right? It's trivializing the reality of eternity. I'm proclaiming to you today that God is judge, that he knows all, that he controls the events of history, and that he has determined that some will go to everlasting life and some will go to everlasting contempt. And you have the choice as to whether you could be in everlasting life versus everlasting contempt. The end will come. And you will sit before the great white throne of judgment. And either you will have something to show for yourself, or you will not. It's real. It's final. Do you have the fear of God in you, or have you been trivializing your Christian religion? You've been setting aside what you believe. You've been walking around as though everything is fine. You decide, you know what? Uh, maybe I'll be a part of the church today, maybe I won't. Church attendance doesn't save you. But your attendance with God's people says something about whether you love to be with God's people. Whether you want to be with them because you are part of the body of Christ. And if you don't, you are not. It's, it, that's not who you are. Why should we read that? It should strike fear into the hearts of all men and women. And those who know Jesus Christ, that fear will be turned into peace. And those who do not should fear greatly. Verse 3 of chapter 12. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Jesus says... In Matthew 13, 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who, he who has ears, let him hear. He's saying the righteous are going to shine. He's, he's evoking what's happening in Daniel. He says the wise are going to shine like the brightness uh, of the sky above. He's saying these are the people that are going to last. The people who are wise, who hear God, who understand him, who believe him today. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. What's he, what's he saying? What's the angel saying there? Well, look at Luke chapter 21, 25 through 28. It says, and there will be signs in the sun and, uh, in, in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Oh. Do you, do you sense the fear? Let's just look at the weather. I don't know that the end is near. But the weather's getting bad sometimes, right? People say it's because of Global warming. I don't have an opinion on that. 
What I do have an opinion about is that kind of looking around going, what should we be taking from all this? There's lots of wars going on. The world's going nuts. I'm not predicting the end. It's foolish to do so. It's, it's completely foolish. A hundred years from now, so people will be saying the same thing. About, oh, it snowed really hard again. It's global warming. Or, I, I don't know. Or the end is coming. Whatever. But I, I want to tell you that it feels rough. It feels rough. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. What's that saying? Should fear be struck into the hearts of us as we look around at the weather and we go, things are getting bad. The heavens are being shaken. It, uh, North Korea just launched another missile. It seems like everybody's going to lob a missile at one time. It's all going to end just like this. The end is going to come. And it says in Luke chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, 21, verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is coming. Woo! He's coming! Listen, that's not fear-mongering. That's not saying... When these people on TV work you up, say whatever they want, when you listen to conservative radio or liberal, or they want to be called progressives now, progressives, uh, when they're working you up and telling you, hey, we should be really upset because this person's going to get in office and the Republicans are going to lose out and the Democrats are going to win out, but then the Democrats are saying, oh no, it's awful, everything's coming undone. And you know what you can do? You can say, but yeah... But Jesus is coming on a cloud, and I can straighten up, and I can be glad. Because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am going to eternal life. I'm not going to eternal contempt. Christianity is not about fear-mongering. It's about strengthening yourself through the power of God. When God touches you and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Straighten up. Your redemption is at hand. And I have to finish this because this is the last verse. We're almost done with Daniel. We're doing this today, right? And so it says in verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. There's somebody, he's floating. This is craziness, right? How long shall it be till the end of these wonders, they say. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever. He swears by God. He's making a solemn oath. And he's going to tell us something. He, how long is this going to last? How long? All right, do you want to know? You want to know how long it is? How long is this craziness going to last? Get ready. Here it comes. It's going to be really clear. How long shall it be to these wonders? Oh, Solomon, there we go. For a time, times, 
and half a time. Oh, okay, all right. Times and half a time. It's a relatively short period of time. Guess what? God doesn't want you to know how long. He wanted to say it in picture language. And when you get to the end, you're going to be like, oh, that really was like time, times, and half time. That's, that's what it's going to be like. Just be ready for that. And that, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Now, Sidney Grudanus says something really amazing here. He says, we tend to think that when the church is strong, the kingdom of God will fully come to earth. But the angel tells us just the opposite. It's, the angel's telling us something. The Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to wipe you out. The Antichrist breaks the power of God's people. And then God's going to bring in his kingdom. What's that mean? You and I, and whatever political party you think the Bible aligns itself with, are not the saviors of the world. You're all about social justice. You want to take care of the poor. You tend to be more progressive in your politics. Oh, everything about the Bible agrees with your politics. Because you can find social justice things. You can find things like that. And we're going to bring in the kingdom of God, and that's the way that it's going to go. Okay? Or you're a Republican, and, you, and whatever. The litany of things that we already know about. And, and when, when the right person gets in office... When that takes place, then the kingdom of God can be ushered in and God can return. No, what this is saying, you and I are going to lose legitimacy. We're going to lose the ability to do anything. Everything's going to be taken away from us. Everything's going to be dashed to pieces. And when it looks like there is no hope, like everything is gone, and you and I are probably sitting there going, God, seriously? Are you really going to let it go down this way? He's going to come riding on the clouds. He's going to restore all things. Have you read this? It's like Jesus on a horse, and he's got a tattoo up his leg. And there's a sword coming out of his mouth. It doesn't sound very military-like, but it's in that day. It's like, i got to see this dude on this horse. At the end of the day, God gets the glory. Do you see that? Not your politics. Not your church. Not who you are. God will be glorified, and you and I will stand in amazement at God. That's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know that all is going to seem lost. Then the end is going to come. And Jesus is going to bring everything to its final point. And it says in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Oh, really? Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Daniel doesn't understand, and he's going, what's going to happen? And the angel says to Daniel, 
Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Daniel, don't worry about it. Theological scholars who are digging through Daniel and through Revelation and stuff, like they're saying, well, it must be this and it must be that. He's saying to us, know that it's there, but don't worry about it. Go your way. Many shall purify themselves and, and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. We don't know when that starts. We don't know when that ends. We have no idea. There is no point in trying to figure that out. Know that that's the number that God wanted to put there. He intentionally is not telling you when that begins or ends. Blessed is he who uh, waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Okay, so there's that. Keep that in mind. Good number. Verse 13. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted places at the end of days. <laughs> That's the way that it ends. Go your way till the end. And you're going to have rest. And you shall stand in your allotted place where God has you at the end of the days. Fear should not overwhelm us no matter what happens. Politics is absurd. The absurdity of politics, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to help people. But the absurdity of getting wrapped around the axle of this stuff is absurdity. What should you do in the meantime? Should you give in to fear? Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. After he talks about, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and these rulers and these other things, this spiritual battle. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Paul says, after you've done everything that you can do, you have bolstered yourself with the armor of God. It's, it's the word of truth. It's the, the shield of faith. It's the helmet and, and all of these other things. He's saying after you've done everything in your life to bolster yourself with the word of God, with relationship with God, with all of these things, when all of these things come against you and you just think this is awful, it's horrible, Paul says, stand therefore. Just keep standing. Because many people are going to see what happens and they're going to run. The book of Daniel has been all about standing firm. 
Daniel gets brought into this nation and he stands firm. He says, I'm not going to take part in your delicacies because I believe that would pollute who I am as a follower of Yahweh. It's in his personal life. It's in every part of his life. He prays continually. He goes on. It's in his future life. It's in his faith as he hopes and as he trusts in God. Will you stand therefore in the hope that is Jesus Christ? Because Daniel is a great figure, but all that he does is he points us towards Jesus, who is the true and the final Daniel. And when you stand before the great white throne of judgment, and God says, what do you have to say for yourself? The only thing that you have to bring to that conversation is the Son of God, Jesus. Because he went to the cross for you. He fulfilled everything that Daniel did and more. He went to the cross for you and he is the door to everlasting life. Understanding these things dispels the fear just like Stetson Kennedy dispelled the fear that was in the midst of the KKK. You can understand the rest of the world and how you have peace with God through Jesus. Let's pray, and then uh, I want to invite the elders and Josh and Holly up here while I'm praying here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, for everything that you've done and everything that you're going to do in your church. Lord, I, I, I believe that this is a difficult passage. It's a difficult section of scripture. But Lord, we believe it. We believe it's true. We love your word and we're hopeful in how you're gonna use it in our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.